Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey everybody, David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. FCP Euro is an online retailer that specializes in selling the best quality parts for European vehicles, industry-leading customer service, and a frankly ridiculous lifetime replacement guarantee. They operate under one core principle. If they wouldn't put it on their own vehicles, they won't sell it to you. What does it take to build an organization like FCP Euro? And as an online retailer, how do they fit as a supplier to a professional repair shop? In this episode, Lucas and I discuss this and much more with FCP Euro's event director, Nathan Brown, and their commercial manager, Dan Grilly. Before we get started, if you're on your favorite podcast listening app, make sure that you are set to automatically download the latest episode, and make sure you head on over to our YouTube channel where we've been dropping a ton of new videos. And now, here we go. Nathan, I'm a little jelly of the shop behind you. I'm just going to be real with you, man. What is that? Uh, uh, don't, don't worry. It's not a real shop. <laughs> okay. I feel better now. It looks clean. It can't be a real shop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's one of the things that I had to uh, like explain to people when I started here because I come from like the background of having like worked in real shops. Right. And I'm like, guys, this is not a real shop. This is like a mesh. <laughs> uh, but thank you. Yeah, this it is, is very photos. nice. That's where yeah. they take the stock photos, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just Nothing's for functional. Nothing here works. You just need to know that. You'll feel a lot better about things then. Yeah. Well, it, like, it was first built in 2019, um, like, pre-opened up, and it was like the floor was all new. Everything's new equipment, new countertops. So like, oh, don't scratch this. Don't scratch that. Don't put chips in the floor. And I'm like, you guys are – I know how to do that. You're I'm fighting sorry. a losing battle here. <laughs> well, so, like, I got all of mine out of the way. We're building a new shop. We get the floor done and everything's poured nice and neat. And and I've actually got a video of it. David will find it at some point. But the dude putting the building up brings and he's carrying two beams with the forklift onto the floor. And he brings two beams right onto the floor. And it's like, 
bam, bam, and big chunks of concrete fly up into the air. And I'm like, you got <laughs> Well, just go ahead and get the christening out of the way. What yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I, go ahead. I was, I was going to say, I had a customer uh, at a shop that would do that intentionally. He assumed... I worked at a Porsche shop for a little while, and he assumed every car was going to get dented or damaged, especially if you took it on track. So he would intentionally dent it. Um, and when I worked there, there's a brand new GT3 2014, and they have the center lock wheels with the you know the five foot torque wrench. Right. He leaned it up against the thing, it fell over, <laughs> hit the front fender. Everybody panics. He's like, "Well, I guess it's out of the way." <laughs> Dude, so, I don't think I could tolerate that. Yeah. Oh, I don't that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would absolutely dead lose it. It's that's a different yeah. different kind of person. Yeah, it wow. definitely is. Um. So Nathan, I don't think you and I have met yet. Dan, I don't think you and David have met yet. Right. So, um. David, I, I've told you a little bit about some of the things that Dan and I talked about. We had some really cool, really like in-depth conversations that would blow your mind. And I know there's some of it he can't talk about, but I'm just going to say we had some really cool conversations. Um, Nathan, I'm Lucas. What's up? Nice to meet you, man. How you doing? Nice to meet you, Lucas. Uh, doing pretty well, man. Uh, hanging cool. out, being a little bit cold, but I uh, can't complain too much. Right, right. Uh, it was in the 50s here today. The wind wasn't blowing. Things are looking up for me. I promise they're getting better. So, um, so Dan, tell us a yeah. little bit about yourself first, because you know David's heard a lot of the story, a lot of the stuff we went over. Tell him a little bit about yourself. I'll uh, I'll tell you where where the uh, the automotive uh, world started for me. Uh, I started uh, literally interviewed with a uh, advanced auto parts store on the day I turned eighteen years old. And in the state of Ohio, you can't work in a parts store until you're eighteen years old. So. I got my job interview that day, and uh, and I started about a week later. Um, ended up working for Advanced Auto Parts, driving a little delivery truck around for as long as they'd let me. Worked on the counter, worked my way through uh, a bunch of different positions. Uh, ended up working for them for 17 years. Um, ran stores, and um, towards the end, got to do the the commercial uh, account manager role for them, which is out in the, in the field talking to repair shops, selling repair shops on the products. And uh, I know, David, that's probably familiar to you. Did I understand right? AutoZone's in your background. Is that right? Yeah, I, I, AutoZone, O'Reilly, a couple of yep. times. Yeah, yeah retail, retail auto parts was it, was it for me for a long, long time. Um, and when I left retail auto parts um, in Ohio, near where I live, is a technology company called OE Connection that does a bunch of, uh, does a bunch of ordering Auto parts ordering, primarily dealership, genuine auto parts. They do parts logistics. They do parts locating. But they brought a couple of technology products out into the market, which uh, which helped independent repair facilities buy parts online from dealerships. And uh, to me, it was the perfect way to break into the software side of the automotive repair industry by by working with software that connects two two entities that I knew and loved so well from what I was doing before. Worked there for for a handful of years and got a lot of experience on the the SaaS software side of the industry, and then found my way here, where uh, where really part of the job today um, is building. You know, uh, I guess I'll call it um, finding out how we how we belong, where we kind of fit into the the professional side of the auto parts industry. Um, Nathan, I'll tell you a little bit more about the company, maybe the background. We're really a DIY company. That's really the core of everything that we've built and everything that we've done. 
but there's a small element that um that my job today Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to my shop and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Is to figure out where the professionals, where the commercial side of the business really fits with what we're doing. Awesome. Nathan, you go ahead. Cool. Um, so I guess for me, cars have always kind of been in my background. And it was one of the, there's a few things I've been passionate about. Uh, music and cars are pretty much those two things. Um, and it just so happens uh, in high school, I worked at a Best Buy and I worked in like home audio because, you know, music and electronics, everything else. And I uh, ended up working in the uh, mobile electronics department there doing, you know, radios and amps and remote start installs and things like that. And I'd always been a fan of uh, cars. I modified my own Volkswagen and, and uh, that was uh, sort of my passion and i wanted to take a way to sort of combine that passion with what i did for work um so as you know in the in the aftermarket and in the volkswagen aftermarket where i'm from uh there's definitely some some shady shops that took advantage of people and and there was one in particular that was known that like was literally started because of that they did not want to be that they were the antithesis antithesis of that um, so basically in about 2002, I ended up getting a job there working in sales, using some of my background, being able to solder and do things like that. Um, and I worked at that shop. It was called new German performance. It still is called new German performance. They're still around. Uh, there's two of those. There's one in Maryland, one in Virginia. And I essentially started there. I was like the second full-time hire outside of, um, the owners that wasn't a technician. Um, so I built their first web store, um, did all their marketing, ran events uh, eventually kind of worked my way up and i was sort of the general manager sales manager marketing manager service manager <laughs> you know it's small shops right. so you wear a lot of hats and uh ended up uh, leaving for a little bit to do work at a porsche shop and then came back and then eventually found my way to fcp euro um, here i'm actually the event director so i don't work specifically with the catalog or specifically with a lot of the actual you know parts end of things or the sales end of things um, but I have a lot of background in that, so I can kind of bring that to my role whenever I'm talking to people, and I can, you know, relay some of the some of my experience and some of my perspective from the shop side of things, 
knowing what it's like to actually be in a shop right. and translate that to some of the people here that are maybe haven't done that. Um, as you know, and as, as Dan will probably tell you, it's it, like, you know, we're a big company at this point. We have a lot of employees and not everybody has that background. And as I'm sure you guys know, like there's nothing quite like the education of working in a shop day in and day out. Yeah. Um, and you having that context and or if you're going to sell an auto part, I think not having that is it's difficult to do it well. Um, right. So I've been here since 2019 and, and basically run events and do marketing stuff and uh, get to play with the race cars a little bit. I don't get to drive them, unfortunately, but uh, I get to talk to people about them, which is uh, not too bad. That's pretty cool. So so you've been there a little bit longer than Dan has then, haven't you? I have, yeah. Um, so- Tell us a little bit about the company, right? Like, I, I I was just buying parts, right? I had no clue that there was all this other stuff to it. And then a YouTube channel pops up, and then, like, I realized this is a pretty big organization. There's a whole lot more to it than just, like, a parts company. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, Yeah, no problem. So I turned my mic down a little bit. I don't know if it was too loud still. It looked like the levels were kind of peaked out. So no, you're does, that, good, does it matter? Okay. Yeah, you're good. No, you're good. You're good. Okay, yeah. cool. Um. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind of funny. So the reason that I found out about FCP Euro is because as I said, I worked at NGP and I'm a racing enthusiast. I drive my own car on track. I've built GTIs and things like that. Um, and FCP Euro, we had bought these two GTI TCRs. Um, they're factory built Volkswagen racing cars and they were going to campaign them in the Pirelli world challenge. And I'm like, who the hell are these guys? Like, I've never heard of this business They've got money for TCR race cars that are, you know, whatever, uh, kind of expensive, hundred grand, whatever. I, I've never heard of it, and I googled it and found out more information. So, essentially, the the company itself, FCP Euro, has been around since 1986. Uh, the original iteration of that is FCP Groton, which stands for Foreign Car Parts, and it was essentially a brick and mortar that Nick, our president and founder, his parents bought that store and ran it. So he grew up in a, you know, a retail environment. Um, he essentially sort of grew up in that, that, like I said, grew up in that environment, took it online in 2001 and essentially started by with an eBay store selling auto parts on, on eBay. Um, Scott Droz, who's our current CEO. Um, he was basically Nick's best friend and, and worked in the parts store alongside of him. Um, you know, drove the delivery truck for the parents and, and they essentially worked, you know, as they built the eBay side of things, like 20 hours a day, you know, listing parts, sell, doing the sales, package everything up, shipping it out, answering emails, going home to sleep, getting back up in the morning and doing the whole thing over again. So it's really grown from that. And it's all it's all grown from a strong focus on the customer itself. So customer service is kind of the primary thing for us. And, and for me, you know, having been in the industry for a while, the way that the company operates is very different from very atypical from a lot of like automotive businesses in general, in terms of its focus, in terms of the diversity, in terms of the relentless focus on satisfying the customer. Like we'll take things back, we'll give money away, do a lot of things that are you just don't do in right. in the in in the uh, interest of uh, satisfying that customer. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> That's yeah, pretty cool. it's wild. It's definitely wild. So, well, um, it, you know, and and from my perspective, it it was neat to kind of go in because it seemed like a few years back it really started to get some steam behind it, right? It, it had been there, I had seen it, but I never really thought about buying anything from FCP Euro. And then eventually, it came to this time where 
I'm looking for parts and the dealer's back ordered and this person's back ordered and that person's back ordered. And then all of a sudden there's this website and it's like, this is OES. Mm -hmm. Huh? That's cheaper than I can buy it at the dealer. That's cheaper than I can buy it anywhere else. They've got it. Hmm. That that was kind of my experience too, because I I did I was the the last my last go around at NGP I was the purchasing manager, so I'm hunting parts down, trying to find them, and you know through various European catalogs and seeing who's got it. What can I cross reference if I can't get it from here? What works? Right. Um, and I had the same experience. Like I'm like, how do how are these guys selling at retail for less than what I'm paying at World Pack or yeah. from Northside or whoever? Um, and yeah, so the growth has been pretty phenomenal. So I don't know the exact rates, but you know it's essentially been. 40 to 50 percent year over year for you know double digit growth for 20 years um yeah so when i started i was employee like 91 maybe um Mm -hmm. and going from a shop with you know 15 people in it total you know front to back to a business with 90 was a shock um through covid through the pandemic we've continued to grow and we're currently at around 215 employees Yeah, it's pretty wild. Especially that fast, man. That's insane. Yeah, it's nuts. So I think, um, I don't know the exact number, but last year we did about $155 Holy cow. Yeah. That's pretty intense. And, and, you know, so for me, like one of the the more interesting things of all of this is, is is when you start looking at it, a lot of shop owners, and, and it's even been brought up in the group before, like, why would you buy from them? It's kind of like buying from Rock Auto. Why would you buy from them? You're you're feeding someone who feeds DIYs. I, I listen. If there's owners listening who are saying FCP Euro is supporting DIY, well, they might be selling parts to DIYers. But you should also go watch the videos because the videos are very much like you probably shouldn't try this. Here's the parts That's, if you want to. That <laughs> is know? more accurate than you would realize sometimes. I yeah. think. Uh, one of the first videos that I, I watched after, I mean, after starting here, I seen videos, you know, before I, I was employed here, but there's a, a two part video, if I'm not mistaken, on the BMW N20 timing chain where, where our catalog and our media and content teams, they do a great job of, of detailing all the steps and, and they really put this, this video together with care and, and it almost serves only as an informational piece or an educational piece. It's almost not a do-it-yourself because it's almost like this: these are all the tools you're going to need. Right. This is all the time you're going to need to dedicate to this. It that particular video is one that struck me. Is that yeah, everything you know is built in sort of a, on a DIY platform. But what a perfect example to help <laughs> a vehicle owner appreciate exactly what that technician is going to do to their car and and really all the effort all the knowledge and all the tooling that's required should that vehicle end up in a professional's hands to do that timing change job it, it really was eye-opening absolutely and and you know one of the things that i thought was kind of cool about it is is the whole platform is about education it's not just about selling parts cheaper than anybody else it's not about putting parts in the hands of the wrong people it's about education and and I thought it was kind of interesting because it wasn't so much about educating them so they could do the job of the technician. It was educating those who were just inspired to work on their own car. Right. And, and so there's, I think there's something different about that as opposed to, Hey, look, I'm trying to save a buck. No, this is somebody who's passionate about working on their car. They want to learn how to do this. They want, and and, you know, we have clients come in the shop all the time and they say, Hey, I would love to, to work with my son and show him how to change his oil and do this, that, or the other dude. (laughs) 
I love that. That's awesome. Uh, how can we help? Do you mm. need to use a bay one day and we'll come in and we'll go over it with you? I think that's great. And I think that's something that our industry's lacked for so long because much of where that passion came from, you know, Nathan, I don't know about you. My passion for it came from working in the garage with with dad and, and my uncle and coming out here and, and, you know, messing around with some cars on the weekends, whatever it was. So much of that opportunity is gone now. I don't yeah. know why it's gone, but it's gone. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, it's a different it's a different world, obviously. I and my dad actually didn't work on our own cars all that much. My uncle had a VW bus. Maybe that's where the Volkswagen thing comes from for me, <laughs> right? For, for better or for worse. But uh, yeah, it's um, I, I just if partially just out of curiosity, I think for me, and partially out of you know necessity of cost. You know, it's expensive sometimes, especially if you're younger, don't have a lot of money. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it really comes down to education and empowerment, and and you know, we are an enthusiast company in the sense that like we have a race team and we go to these car shows and we do these things that are like, not just like, okay, you're bolting on pads and rotors or you're doing an alternator, but we look at essentially anybody that comes to us as an enthusiast. Because as you say, if you're willing to take that step to kind of turn your own wrench or attempt to turn your own wrench, or you're interested in researching and finding out more about it, that means that your vehicle is more than just transportation to you at some level. And, you know, for us, if for us, like you kind of look at it like almost like in stages, like if we're doing a DIY on how to put an air filter in a car or how to replace a battery, that's like empowering somebody who might be curious to like take a first step. Yeah. If we're doing like control arms or brakes or something like that, that could be empowering somebody who's taken that first step to take a next step. Or it could be the first level that they're like, you know what, I'm going to take this to a professional and then you sort of go to the the timing chain videos, the really in-depth ones. That's yeah. the kind of thing that, we might be empowering or, or, or helping somebody who's already a hardcore DIYer that's grown up around it. They've always been working on their own cars to take that next step into something really involved. Um, but at the same time, hopefully, if somebody's not, they understand and can recognize they can't do it, they do take it to a professional shop because yeah. that's, you know, the to- and, as mentioned, the tools and the talent, and that's it's not easy to do. And, and one of the cool things about it is, is like it gives even the professionals – a, a resource to go look at that, right? Um, one of the ways that we source parts for a job that requires multiple components is we call the dealer and we say, hey, we're going to be doing this job. I know you've done them in the past. The technician has this list. Do you see anything missing, right? You're, they're our advocate. And I look at you guys kind of in the same way is because y'all are somewhat advocates to those who are buying parts. Did we get all the parts we needed? And, and I've even pulled up videos before and said, Something about this doesn't look right. I can't picture it in my head. What have I got off here? Something just doesn't feel right. And I've gone to one of your videos and said, aha, right? It, it can be an information resource for anybody. So I, I think that's huge. I don't necessarily think it has to be, you know, us against the DIYs, right? I, and I think sometimes owners look at it, text look at it like that. And a lot of times they have to clean up the messes of the DIY guy. <laughs> yeah. I hope somebody's telling them, look, if you bring me your car, oh yeah, half torn apart, that's going to be a lot more expensive than if you just hadn't touched it all. We know that, right? I mean, uh, is there a I, video about that? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure if there is. Um, we could def- Dan and I could definitely work on that. But I mean, yeah, 100%. Like I've been on that other side of the, side of the counter where somebody comes in, they're like, I bought this online. Can you install it? Or can you fix my car? And I'm like, I don't know that this is the problem. Like, you know, you have to go through the whole speech about the diagnostic angle and like, this may not fix it. We need to diagnose it first, blah, 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 blah. Like you have to cover your right. bases. Um, 
and and we would kind of have like a couple of different angles in terms of like, like that. We didn't rake somebody over the coals on labor if they brought in their own parts. But we also made it clear that if that part failed, we were not going to cover their labor for them. We were not going to like jump through hoops because we didn't right. supply that part. We can't guarantee the quality on it, et cetera. But we were very quality focused, much in the same way F. Spiero is. Um, yeah, so that's <laughs> – yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that that I thought was really neat um, and something that has saved me a couple times is this whole explanation. Um, and I think it was Dan. Dan, you sent me the link to this where it was explaining to a consumer the difference between OEM, OES, right? Aftermarket. Yeah. So many. <laughs> I hate to say this. David's going to kill me. I'm not even sure if David knows. Um, luckily, he's in the parts business, so we can't make fun of him too bad. Uh, you know how many owners don't know some of that information? You know how many yeah. owners are, are over here and, and it says on the box, original equipment or, you know, what was it? Was it World? I shouldn't talk bad about World Pack. It's World uh, Pack. <laughs> there was there was a wasn't there a part brand called OEM for a uh, while? <laughs> yeah, like you yes. thought you were getting OEM parts. Yeah. David's still installing OEM parts. He's like, yeah, this is the original equipment <laughs> manufacturer right here. It says on the box OEM. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's that's just another layer of of part of the. If you can imagine that the do it yourself or that maybe they landed on our website for the first time. It, it's our intention to make sure that they get there and they have the absolute utmost confidence that they're going to buy the right part for their budget, right? Their budget might include the genuine part. It might include the, the, the part, the same thing they could source from their dealership, or it might be that what we would call the OE part, which is the same thing in a different box, right? From the manufacturer that produces it. Maybe it's OEM or maybe it's just a straight up aftermarket part, but the way, the way that's defined in what we call the OE Academy it just broken down into just the the simplest plain English explanation of here's the different categories and if if this is the quality you're after this is the category and and the the associated little tag on the website this is the tag you need if this is your budget you want genuine if you're after this right. then you want OE right and we we really want to make sure that if they're they're not a power user of our website and they land there for the first time they can get all of that information and have the confidence before they've spent a dollar they are educated in some way they are informed in some way before they've even placed a single order with us they can get some kind of benefit just by landing on our site right right well and and so what do you say to the shop owner because one of the big things that that most all the coaches are teaching now all of the folks in the group you know say it over and over again we don't do customer supplied parts i don't do them in my shop what do you say to that shop owner who finds themselves you know, I went to SCP Euro. I got this part. It's OE. I'm sorry, I yeah. can't install it. What What do you say to that shop owner? How can we have a, a symbiotic relationship with you guys and still provide what we provide for our, our clients? How What are you guys seeing as far as that goes? It's a common discussion. It, it's a really common discussion. There are folks that reach out to us all the time and they ask us if we have shops that we know of that they can ship their parts to or that they can take their parts to and have them installed. And, and it's not really something we have a position on like officially, but if you, if you really think about it, you got to ask the shop owner, well, when the vehicle owner comes to you and they're, they're interested in this OE part or this particular brand, what, what is the vehicle owner's motivation for, for even initiating that conversation? It's, yeah. it's because they wanted to have some kind of input. They, they truly care about 
what parts are being installed on that vehicle. They, they really have a vested interest to, to have some kind of input to the direction that their vehicle is going to take uh, before and after it leaves. And, and is that okay? You know, you got to ask the shop owner, is it okay for them to have that direction? And if that is, maybe it's not you bringing the part into the shop. Maybe it's working with the shop owner to discuss what brand of parts gets installed. I think it's, um, I think it's safe to say every shop owner has their opinions on certain brands and categories that they will or will not install. But is that open for discussion? And I guess, I know, you guys run your own shop. So you tell me, if a shop, if a vehicle owner wanted to talk to you about the brands, is that an open conversation? Yeah, and, and, and for me it is, right? It's an open conversation. The difference for me is, is that when we have that conversation, it's about me providing the value to them. Okay, here's why I need to supply the part. Because I'm going to offer a 36-month, 36,000-mile nationwide warranty, no questions asked. Right now, if you supply the part, I can't do that. And therefore, if the part's wrong, if the part's bad, if there's a problem, um, it definitely is going to cause a concern down the line that I can't stand behind. And that's going to cost you substantially more. However, if I provide the part and it is going to be more expensive than what you pay, but you're getting something for that. You're getting a repaired vehicle. You're not buying the part. You're not buying the labor. Dutch is going to kill me. I've said it again. Um, <laughs> I sell a repaired automobile. It's yeah. different, right? And so what I'm bringing to the table is not what you can go to FCP Euro and buy. If you want to do the work yourself, that's great. Go buy it and go do it. But me personally, if you want me to do that work, if you want me to be able to offer my killer uh, customer service, client service, whatever you want to call it, Look, I'm going to send a tow truck. If we're wrong, I'm going to send a tow truck. I'm going to give you a rental car. It doesn't matter where you're at. I'm going to pay to fix it. If it broke something else when it broke, I'm going to pay to fix that. If I was wrong about the testing, I'm going to pay for the repair. But if you bring your part, I can't do that. Right? It, it, it's it's funny. That's that's literally the same approach that we always took at NGP when I was on the other side of the counter and working in a shop. Is like, look, if 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 I'm supplying the part, I'm going to back it up with a warranty. I'm going to back up the labor. I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of, and it, virtually exactly everything you just said. But if you're bringing your own parts, I can't necessarily do that. So there's always a little bit of give and take when it comes to like a big online parts supplier and like right. you know an independent shop. Um, you know. It, none of that is going to be a perfect relationship. There's always going to be a little, not, not at odds, but there's, there's competition ultimately in some regard. Um, but, uh, I'm kind of losing my train of thought a little bit, but, um, train of thought derailed. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure David is over here. I, he might, he might be doing his daily meditation or something. <laughs> He's just over here like zoom. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, we, we look, you know, Anybody that's in the ecosystem that cares about quality and wants to do the best job possible, like clearly based on what you're saying, like you are the the best kind of shop. You're willing to stand behind your work, back it up, and you have very valid reasons as to why you'd want to, you know, supply your own parts and everything like that. Um, and you know, and for us, you know, sometimes uh, you know, a shop owner such as yourself might, even though we're a DIY seller like you've mentioned, you might be able to find a part on our website that you couldn't get through some other supply chain. Um, and, and really any, any consumer who's interested in good quality repairs and good quality parts, I think is 
you know, an educated consumer in that regard is a, a better consumer to have. Because Absolutely. if you're like, hey, man, I'm going to put this part on your car and this is the reason why it's going to be $50 instead of $25, they're not going to question that because they know that there's a big difference in quality on that more expensive part. So for us, it's like, you know, an educated consumer, they might come to us sometimes, they might not. They might go to you sometimes, they might not. But if they understand that quality matters and and, and can carry those things with them when it comes to servicing their cars and, you know, that maybe makes the industry itself for independence because really we're all independents at the end of the day. Um, you know, if that, that pool is a little bit bigger and a little bit better and a little bit stronger, that's, you know, for the best. Yeah. And, and see, that's a big thing for me, right? Because let's be real about it. The independent auto repair industry is not going anywhere. Right. And those who don't believe in installing client supplied parts, they're not going anywhere. Hmm. The FCP is not going anywhere. We have to learn to be, you know, in one industry together, and, and if we can work together, it stands to reason that we can make things better. If we can learn how we can help each other and we don't have to be at odds with one another, if we can educate consumers, you know, every day a client comes through our door, a client calls that is not the right client for me. And I'm sure the same thing happens to you guys. It's not the, you know, and, and we talk about this all the time. There's a restaurant in town called The Peddler. They sell one of the best ribeye steaks in the country. And there's a McDonald's in town. I hate to tell you, if you go to McDonald's and try and get a peddler ribeye, you're going to be disappointed. But if you try and go get a, a cheeseburger at the peddler and pay for McDonald's prices, you're also going to be disappointed. Neither one is wrong. Yeah. Right? Both of those things are okay. It's just you have to determine what's right for you and what's right for that business. Um, and, and so I think we've got to work on that. When it comes to suppliers and it comes to consumers and it comes to industry as a whole, we need to work on having a relationship and having communication with one another, right? I think that's there's, a big thing. There's, a, there's an educational element there too, though. There's, there's a piece that the average vehicle owner maybe will never understand about the business of auto repair, that there's, there's certain elements that, that – force a, an auto shop owner's hands, right? They don't, they don't want to just have their labor rate be at X amount of money, but they, they have to pay their tech. They have to pay their, their technology subscriptions. They have to pay their rent, their mortgage. They, they have all of these things that are, that are mandated before they break even. And all of those things equal out to a certain dollar amount. And if the shop owner wants to make a profit enough to be there next year, it's got to be even higher than that. And that's, that's an element that I've been exposed to working in the parts business. And Nathan has been exposed to being inside of the professional repair business. But the general public, let's get super philosophical here. What would you want them to know? You know, if, if you had the ability to teach every vehicle owner a critical piece about the business of auto repair, what would you tell them? What would be the thing that you want them to know to understand why your labor rate is what it is? Yep. Well, and, and you know, what I want them to understand is that we have been subsidizing their repairs for the past 30 years, 40 yeah. years, right? Let's be real about it. I mean, if you want to know what I want them to know, yeah. I want them to know that we have not been charging what we need to be charging to pay our people appropriately. I want them to know that the guys and girls who are working on their automobile are some of the smartest people in the world. I want them to understand that these technicians literally break their backs over these cars. They have to be plumbers. They have to be electricians. They have to be network engineers, right? The list goes on and on and on. It takes a ton of skill. It takes a ton of talent. And, and you know, 
I, I don't want to I don't want to speak poorly of any job. But we need to talk about this. And it is the fact that many of the folks who have a problem with paying that they're working for a, a big corporation. They're working for a company. They're working for somewhere that has a 401k. They're working for somewhere that has retirement. They're working for somewhere that when they turn 55 years old, they don't have to look back and say, what do I do now? I've, I've worn my body out. My hands hurt. My back hurts. My knees hurt. I can't do anything else. I've not learned how to do anything else. My employer didn't have things in place. Yet the consumer goes to that auto repair shop and says, yeah, well, Joe Blow down the street will do it for 45 an hour. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a big difference from what I consider myself. I don't even really consider myself an enthusiast to the level of our typical customer. I've fixed my own cars more often than not, but that amounts to one or two maybe brake jobs, right? For, yeah. for every vehicle that I've owned, maybe some suspension, very light suspension work. I've I've broke a sweat working on cars. I've smashed my fingers, but I've I've never subjected my knees to the stress of somebody that does this day in and day out. That's yeah. a hard lesson, and that's something that that. I think if the average vehicle owner truly had a, had a grasp on what an individual does to themselves, what they have to invest in time and tools and yep. and and brain power, I think they'd I think they'd have a greater appreciation of the trade that is auto repair and the business around it. I agree, and and I I think that at the end of the day, as a whole, we've got to come up a little bit. We, we've got to get to where we can pay them more fairly. Right. Like, you know, we're hearing all this talk about minimum wage, this, that and the other. I, it shouldn't even be, be applied to someone as skilled as an automotive technician. Right. That, mm-hmm. that shouldn't even be a it shouldn't even matter. They should make so much more than that. Right. They should be in the 40 and 50 dollar an hour range right now. I, I don't question that for a second. I see what they've got to learn how to do. Right. Yet in so many shops. In so many shops, they are so poorly paid and not all shops, right? There's a lot of really good shops, but in so many shops they are so poorly paid, that's not possible. And that, that in turn comes back to the part situation, right? That's why one of the reasons we don't allow clients to bring their own parts, because we have to make a profit, right? If I'm going to be here, if I'm going to be able to stand behind this for five months down the road, a year down the road, two years down the road, three years down the road. I had to turn a profit. Something's got to pay for that tow bill, right? Something's got to pay for, for somebody else to fix the car. If you're not near me, something's got to pay for that rental car. You sure expect Mm -hmm. that. And, and you would, you would leave me a bad review if I didn't provide that for you, but you don't want to pay for it, right? You don't, you don't get that quality of service. I'm blessed. I've got great clients. They don't complain about it. They know what they get for their money. They understand the value. That's that's an interesting piece is that that parts markup is part of it, right? When's the last time, you know, you you, you had a a washer or dryer repaired by an appliance repairman and he'd give you an itemized (laughs) bill of of how much he was charging you for parts and labor. But, But when he comes in there and he repairs that appliance that you need to keep your household moving... You pay the bill. If the yeah. work is quality work, you're happy. You're not going yep. to, I, by the way, I've done online appliance part shopping. So I've been there, <laughs> but like I never did that to price shop my, my appliance repairman, if you can imagine. But like the average consumer is not doing that the way that yeah. it seems normal with auto parts. 
right? I know. And and here's the thing is what that appliance repairman does is he walks in and says, shit's broken. $350, please. Okay. Right. What's the $350 for telling you it's broken? Well, what do I do? And we don't fix these things anymore. You need to replace it. Why would you even call me? You know? And and they pay it and they go on about their way. But but when it comes to getting their car fixed, part of that is a reputation. And part of that we've earned. I'm not going to be, I, I will be 100% blunt about it. We've earned it. There are some scumbag shops out there. Exactly what Nathan was talking about. There were shops who were solely focused on taking advantage of people. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say it's, 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 you know, automotive uh, cars and trucks are complex complex uh, assemblies they're simple as you start to break it down smaller and smaller but your average consumer is not looking at it like a valve train in terms of individual components of a valve spring right. and a retainer and a keeper or whatever you know to them it's like this engine that's this mystery um so yeah you know it's easy to potentially have somebody come in and, and pull the wool over their eyes or whatever it might be um but that's kind of where you know, from our perspective, I think, you know, in terms of like the educational aspect of it is teaching people and empowering them. And a good shop does that too. It's, it's like exactly like what you're saying. And, and just to kind of go back a little bit about, um, technician pay and things like that, that's such a tough spot. And, and, you know, my time within that industry, you know, it was always something that was a conversation because, you know, you have technicians that are smart enough and talented enough to do almost anything else. There has to be yeah. a level of passion. There's a reason that people choose to do that for a living. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons, for, you know, that that might be, it might be passion. It might be the way, the way that they're working or the things that they're working with. But um, yeah, I totally agree. And, and it, it's a tough balance. It's a tough battle because obviously you want to take care of your people and you need to make sure you, that you have the profit in the business to be able to take care of them appropriately and retain them. Um, you know, which is always again a challenge, depending on the on the shop. Yeah, um, and 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 when we're in a market where they call it the Great Resignation, and people are going to other careers, or they would rather sit at home than they would work at all. Um, I think there's got to be some real talk. You know, I, there, I've talked about it on the show before, but there was a thing where Mike Rowe testified in front of Congress. You know, the guy from Dirty Jobs. Yep. And he testifies in front of Congress and he's telling this story about when when he was young and they were fixing the toilet in the house and and, you know, that he was, you know, basically forced child labor. And he's out here digging with his grandpa and his dad and they're fixing the toilet. And that's just what you did. And he said, you know, now I I see this world where, you know, it, it happens. The toilet breaks in my house. I call the plumber up or I call the landlord. I leave a check on the table. And I never think about the process of how it gets done, the skill it took to make it happen. It's like a, a pair of, of jeans. We just buy the pair of jeans. It's a pair of fabric to us. It's not skilled labor that created it. It's not, it's not an ability to do something amazing with your hands. It just is, right? And I think we've lost some appreciation for what it is that, that skilled labor is, what it is that, that a, a quality product is. We don't have an understanding of that. We have this whole different perspective now of our world as a whole, right? We're just not looking at things as the work it took to create something because we've never had to put the work in to create it. 
we've never had to put the work in to fix it. Right. You know, and I, I really take this back. You look at, at consumers who are upset when a shop, maybe they misdiag something. Maybe they mess something up on the car. Maybe a lift fails and a car falls off of it. And you think of how upset they are with the shop. And you think about the number of things the shop couldn't control in that scenario. Now, I'm a firm believer when there is a disaster, it happened like there were 50,000 different things that you like little choices you could have made here and there that would have changed it. I'm not I'm not, you know, ignorant to that fact. But my point is, is they're so upset, they're unwilling to think of how much work went in just to get to that point and recognize it was a simple mistake. I just don't think the average consumer has the same perspective that we had 20 years ago, 30 years ago. 50 years ago, we don't see gross product in the same way that we do today. I'm going to trigger David. I guarantee it. (laughs) Cool as a cucumber over there. (laughs) I don't know why he's being so quiet. I guarantee you he's going to drop a bomb on us here in a little bit. No, no, no. You guys are fine. This has been good. (laughs) Then I'll I'll, I'll make a comment something. You you mentioned the, the, the average consumer doesn't have depreciation. And that just makes me realize that you know, a company like this, being fortunate to have the customer base that we do have, mm-hmm. having it being so highly concentrated with enthusiasts that love doing these repairs themselves, just makes it feel like this particular group of customers should be the ones that they, they appreciate and should understand those professionals that are out there doing it. They should be the ones that are closest to that level of understanding that's necessary. Uh, compared to the, the the average person who might walk into the neighborhood parts store and just to to pick up brakes and rotors because they heard a squeak and they don't really care what brand they're just getting something to get the car to stop squeaking right that's right. that's uh that's a, a a real fortunate piece to this puzzle here at, at FCP Heroes that they're not the average ones typically they they have a serious level of concern care curiosity whatever it is and or or to to use the word passion, they've got it. You know, we're, we're lucky to have that group of customers to serve compared to the average consumer. They, they probably appreciate the uh, technician's talent even more when they have to get their car hauled in on yeah. a flatbed when they <laughs> are in over their heads. And, and you know, I've, I think I've had it happen two times with your clients and every single time they've come in and said, I know this is going to be expensive. Right. Yeah. Like that is the beginning of the conversation. I know this is going to suck. Okay. I just want you to know, I know this is going to suck. Um, and you know, it, it, look, y'all saved me on the, on the oil thermostat on this, one of the vehicles we fixed just the other day, because dude's like been on the website researching. He's like, I know this is not y'all. This is just something that happens to this car. If anybody's to blame, it's me. I bought the damn thing, you know, (laughs) like, Nice. I concur. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. At least they know what they got themselves into. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so all of this being said, where do we go from here? You know, Dan, you're, you're talking about a commercial program. You're talking about all of these things you want to do. Where are we going from here? What's the next step? Well, the commercial program is, it's always been simple and it's, it's probably always going to remain simple. Um, it's, it's not, not ever going to necessarily be a world beater, but it's it's been important for more and more repair shops and more and more repair professionals lately because we may just happen to have the part. I'm, I'm pointing as if as if you could see our distribution center. I know you can see it, but we, we may just have the part sitting right there 
that nobody else has. You know, we, we've done a lot to build our inventory up at our distribution facilities and uh, maybe we've got a part and maybe we can help. You know, outside of that, there's there's so much that we have done to to kind of demystify this world for the do-it-yourselfers that I wouldn't be surprised if any professional could stumble their way onto our site and learn something or find something or maybe understand a little bit more about a brand that they've seen and they can't even pronounce it. But if they see that it happens to be the OE supplier for this BMW, now all of a sudden that that brand makes a lot of sense to them. And why are they seeing it? Why is it out there? So there's elements like that. There's there's pieces that, well, again, with things we do for our do-it-yourselfers. We, right. we have our, our catalog team that that sort of hand curates a, a kit. When a job that needs done typically has a bunch of related parts that goes through it, there's a kit on our website for that job, most likely, that's going to have every O-ring, every crush washer, every gasket, every every little thing that the technicians know they need, but maybe they weren't thinking about it at the time right. they were going to place the order. We're going to have all these things, again, truly catered towards the do-it-yourselfer, truly built and evolved for the do-it-yourselfer, but really has taken a ton of mystery out of buying parts for a European car. And a professional could probably find that on our site the very first time they stumble their way over there. So is there a hope to make this more a, a, a version of this that's more professional friendly, right? That's more of the shop platform. Is there a hope to bring something that's more geared towards them? And I, I'm not saying it's not geared to them now. Uh, no, it's fair to say that it's not. You know, it's it's really been only a small fraction of our business. And, and maybe it'll never change. Maybe that'll always be the way it is. It's just our role is to sort of fill in some of the gaps that uh, that are out there in the market. Um through a tool that is designed for the do-it-yourselfer. And I'll say this, if, if that's all that it ever becomes and we get to we get to learn a little bit more from shop owners, you know, if we had a shop owner come to us tomorrow and say, I've done this, this, and this, and I want to see, I want to see the, the average vehicle owner become a little bit more educated. And you guys are the ones out there giving them the knowledge. It's you're just putting it out there for anybody that owns one of these vehicles to become just this much better educated uh, and they have a suggestion they have thoughts about how we might do that the, the ideas that we might be able to to kind of put out there we'd love to hear it we'd love to hear from them we'd love to bring them in as customers but we know where we're at you know we ship everything through FedEx it's it's we're not delivering every day we're not a typical parts store we're not on everybody's corner like uh, like a lot of the other parts vendors are so maybe it'll always remain small maybe it'll always remain really really simple. And maybe it'll always just be a DIY tool that they can find their way to. But now, uh, are you, for now, w- one of the things that speaks to me for is specialty tooling. Do yeah. you offer specialty tooling? Um, smaller stuff, hand tooling. Um, you might, uh, I'll reference the N20 timing chain video again. Um, all the tools that are uh, featured in that video, they could buy from us if they wanted to. Anybody could, but um, uh, it doesn't get too much heavier than something you could uh, put into a FedEx pack and reasonably ship across the country. So, yeah, I mean, cool. th- there's there's some timing tools and a variety of things like that, but I think it's fair to say that the none of that is going to be of the the specification that what you would use in your own shop. Right. Um, you know, right. it's enough to get the job done, but it's not mm-hmm. one time use kind of deal. Kind of, sort of, yeah. Yep. So, Dan, one thing, one last thing, and I know we're running out of time here. But I, I want to cover this. 
And I mm-hmm. understand that we need to be cautious about how we cover it. Yeah. Um, but Dutch, one of the moderators for ASOG, always says nothing for nothing, right? He grew up in the Bronx and he truly <laughs> believes that everybody's out to get something, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you sell parts. I know what you're here to get. We yep. we do podcast and we're just bored and we'd be sitting here talking anyway. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> not sure that we're getting anything out of this, but that's awful. Um, <laughs> but long story short, we were talking a while back. Yeah. We're talking about some... Um, some of these part interfaces where we can look up parts yeah, and we can buy parts. And one thing that you said to me that stood out was, is that we, you know, a lot of shops look at that stuff and they're like, man, this is so convenient. This is so great. This is yeah. so, this is so that, but you don't understand that a, there's a little bit of something behind that. that they're not just doing it to be nice. Right. Tell us yeah. a little bit about that. There's a, there's, there's, Auto parts ordering technology that I'm sure you guys are all familiar with. There's there's a variety of sites out there that will they'll take and they'll aggregate parts data from all kinds of different vendors and they'll they'll bundle up in an ultra convenient package for shop owners like yourself, right? They'll they'll put it out there for you to to one click to kind of browse all of your vendors all in one shot and uh, all the convenience that that brings um, always comes with it always comes with a price, right? There's there's some way, somehow, somehow that technology is being funded. If you could imagine uh, right now, can you think of any of those technologies that you're paying for from your shop, right? Are you paying any like monthly subscription fees for any of that stuff today? Any of those parts aggregation, parts ordering technologies? I'm, I'm not paying any subscription fees for those. Right. I'm paying for shop management software and that right. kind of yeah. stuff, but I'm not <laughs> yeah. paying for anything from those people. Yeah, but but imagine like those anywhere where you're ordering your parts from, somebody's got to invest in that technology. Somebody's got to pay the bill. If it's your parts supplier, they're probably doing it themselves. They've got their own internal IT teams. But anytime it's a third party that comes in and brings you that ultra convenient parts ordering solution, someone's paying for it. And in most cases, it's the person selling you the parts, right? It's that, let's say this first party over here that is listing their parts in that web, in that third party website we got to pay a fee to be in that marketplace, to be offering their parts out there. And that's something that um, that's that's hard to kind of wrap your head around when you're the one receiving the convenience. You're the one that's getting all of this information fed to you in a convenient package. And then all of a sudden, there's a there's a there's a difference in profit margin for that vendor that's trying to sell it to you. Right. So let's say I list it. I'll, I'll, you know what? Even, even better. I'll use uh, Amazon as a uh, as a as a. One that's easy to talk about, right? Because it's similar in the fact that it's a lot of vendors out there listing items for you to sell. But a vendor goes to Amazon and they have to pay anywhere from eight to 12% for a seller's fee to sell that part to that consumer, right? Well, those same type of seller's fees exist in the auto parts world too. Anywhere where you have a marketplace where vendors are out there, multiple vendors are out there trying to sell auto parts to the consumer, to the installer, to the professional. There's fees and they're not as outrageous as they would be with Amazon, but uh, there's right. fees in there. So you got your your local family owned auto parts store down the road, right? Maybe they're a franchise or one of the big players and you bring their parts ordering in through one of those third party software technologies. That owner of that parts store is taking a cut out of what he was going to sell. And now it's being taken off the transaction when you order through one of those integrators. It's uh, it's just like a hidden piece to the puzzle that... Uh, 
that you got to kind of think about whenever a new convenient technology emerges is where's the funding coming from? Who's actually paying for it? And uh, right. most of the time, it's that entity that wants to sell parts. We'd be no different. You know, when, when we find our way and we figure out exactly where we're going to be in those marketplaces, we want to be in there. We're going to have to pay those fees as well. Just like every all the big name boxes, just like all the, the franchise mom and pop part stores that are left out there. Everyone's got to pay that fee to be a part of one of those marketplaces. It's a, just an interesting piece that's out there you don't think about very often. David, is it worth the extra convenience to pay a little bit more? Yes. I don't care. I, I've Here's heard you guys thing, talking like, about it, yeah. Well, we, we I have a local supplier um, here in Kansas City, and uh, uh, I think they're based out of St. Louis. Anyway, I got a phone call, and he tells me, hey, we're not going to be on the parts aggregator that you use, your parts aggregator of choice thing. What do you yeah. mean? And he goes, their fees are going up. A lot. And I said, great, mark up my parts and stay on there. <laughs> he goes, no, I, we can't do that. We won't be competitive. What are you talking about? They're too cheap across the board on a lot of stuff. Yeah. That doesn't make me order more from them. It's just, you know, I have my main supplier yeah. and they're the backup. They're great. But I, I told him, I said, I don't care what it costs. <laughs> I want to know that you have it in stock and you're going to get it to me in a uh, consistent fashion. Yeah. Not the fastest, just consistent. Yeah. I, I don't care what it costs. And he goes, well, you're not the norm. I said, I should be the norm. <laughs> I didn't think it was that weird. It, because, I, you know, it doesn't cost me anything. I just mark it up and sell it. Yeah. Yeah. So if it's costing me another five points on top, like, okay, I mark it up and sell it. It doesn't make a difference right. to me. So it's a matter of convenience for me. And of course, that yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, persuade him to stay. And he wow. said, "This is this is a maybe we'll we'll come back to the negotiation table, and they'll come down, and maybe we'll meet in the middle or whatever. Or there'll yeah. be a lot of pushback from a lot of uh, uh, a lot of customers that want us on this platform, but yep. they don't want to play ball." Um, but I get it, you know, they're trying to expand. So the fees have to, to, to go up and I guess the larger suppliers don't care. They're like, okay, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll cut into something else. Right. Uh, staffing is usually the first thing they cut into. You probably remember that from the parts store days. <laughs> it's a, un, it's an unfortunate side effect of working staffing and raises. Like that. that was always yeah. fun discussing staffing and what would you say raises what was that second thing yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about the shriveled grape what i don't know the 11 <laughs> cents you got on, on your hourly pay 11 cents this year congratulations you're one of my highest raises yep. um that was a awkward conversation i made one lady <laughs> cry one year i'm not kidding i made oh, her cry yeah like, <laughs> listen i'll, like, I'll tell you this as much as i can get you i'm sorry I I'll tell you this. I, I was running stores and I transferred to a store right around, I transferred to a new store right around annual raise time. And the the annual raises for the entire store was zero. <laughs> and oh. like week one, I had to come in and basically say, uh, hey, I'm your new boss and nobody's getting a penny. Great to meet you. So that's uh, <sighs> this is a rough that time. Sucks, dude. <laughs> What's that's stupid real. is that they'll, some of these places will... The, the market will shift. This is what's happened here real, uh, very recently. All of yeah. a sudden, what used to be an $8 an hour job is now $12 an hour job. You're not yeah. going to hire anybody for 8 You got to hire them at 12 yeah. 
Well, you already have three or four people working for you at eight. And they're coming to you and they're like, hey, why are you hiring Bob for 12? I'm not making 12. And you're like, you're right. I should pay you 12. So then you go to your bosses and go, hey, person that pays the bill, can I move them to 12? (gasps) No. It's great. So I'm going to fire them or they're going to quit and I'll rehire them at 12. Like, what do you want me to do here? This is idiotic. (laughs) What an an impossible conversation. What an impossible conversation. Well, you, you, you know, you know, those big, those big box stores, that's, they, they save that, that transaction fee from those, those aggregators and they, they take it out of their employees, but. That's what they do. They take it out of their employers and and it's so competitive on the retail side. That they don't they don't want to market market up on the retail side, and I, I don't I remember like this was way back, but they all the old timers would say, "Man, I remember the days we used to sell everything at list uh, on the retail side," and you're yeah. like, "Yeah, well, that's not the case anymore." <laughs> and the I don't know how many shops you'd have to explain to is like, "Look, Mister Mister Shop, I oh, yeah. shop owner, I can't this alternator. I get it that I only discounted it three dollars for you to sell it to you." Yeah. But you need to figure out a way to justify, you know, whatever your markup is to your customer. Yep. But I can't sell that for double on the retail side. I have to sell it for one thirty-five, and you're getting it for one thirty-two, and that's just the way it is. Yep. Sorry, it is what it is. Those 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 pieces are so much like, like you can compare it to the television industry, right? You you think about what your local cable provider does for you. They they don't do much of anything other than aggregate all of the channels that are out there and they make it convenient for you to have a single remote control to browse through all of them. Right. Like there's, and there's always disputes between, you know, uh, time Warner cable and, and the CBS networks, right. Or there's disputes between your Roku television provider now and YouTube TV. There's, there's all these, these disputes that go on because one party or another needs to mark things up and, and really, the consumer, the person sitting there watching TV, they don't really understand the depths of what's going on behind the scenes. Just like it, it's the same thing with with aggregating parts feeds. Like it's a great convenience. It's a really great service. I think I've heard you guys both talk about how those services are really convenient. And Definitely. whatever they, they, they do at the current dollar value to you of zero, at the current fee to you of zero, it's worth it. And it would be worth it in some way for you to pay if you wanted to continue to have those services available. But uh, right I told now, the guy to tack the fee on top of like, just charge me the fee, whatever it <laughs> happens to be, just whatever that 3%, 5%, whatever tack it, it on. It, and when it shows up at my door, I just pay the extra fee. It is what it is. I didn't I'm sure, really I'm sure did. they're reasonable. I'm sure they're minimal fees. I can't imagine they're very much, but it's just, it's just well, what he, the number things. he gave me was a little ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> I don't know how accurate it was. The, the worst was I've the worst I've ever heard of was was Amazon, and it's you know there were auto parts sellers out there yeah. eight to twelve. I mean that's that's crazy. I can't imagine it's that much in the real world in auto parts. But but just thinking about it, right, where's you know that's the cable cable pumped in to your set top television or your your device, and and the convenience is awesome. You don't want to go get all your channels separately. You really would rather have them all in one place, but. That's the, well, that's the reality. I, I mean, here's the thing, though, right? So I, I think we have to have a realization that in some ways there was a generation of shop owners, right? And I'm not trying to pick on Dutch, but but it seems like growing up, and maybe it was just our town, there, there's a group of older shop owners, right? And that group of older shop owners 
never saw themselves as a commodity. They were a service. Mm-hmm. And and they understood what value proposition they brought to the table. And it seems like in some ways they have perceived this switch as a change to a commodity. Right? And 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 they're in a lot of ways, I think some of the older shop owners are offended by what's happened to the market. Now, yeah. I don't I don't think any of us are dummies. We all recognize the market's gonna do what the market's gonna do. And if there's an empty spot in it, somebody's a dummy if they don't have the opportunity to fill it. Yep. Right. If FCP Euro didn't come in and fill this spot where there was DIY guys who wanted to buy parts for their European cars, somebody else would. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think it's very important to recognize the market's going to move where the market moves and what we do with it and how we manage our businesses around that is going to cause the result we get. Right. Yeah. But in the same respect, I also think that that we've trained consumers in such a way that they do think it's a commodity. Hmm. and. Maybe that's part of the problem. The other thing that, that as I'm hearing you guys talk about this, I'm thinking back to one of our, was it the credit card episode, David, with with Rick, where he said, you know, you're asking a $5 question instead of a $35,000 question. And and you are you're price shopping your vendors trying to get your price down. And the reality is, is that if you want to generate money, if you want to generate net profit, you can only cut your expenses so far. The only way you will ever generate true net profit is by growing gross revenue. Duh, right? But sometimes as shop owners, we get really focused on that 1% or 2% mm. as opposed to the big picture. And so I, I don't know that it's so much that we've we've been transferred to a commodity. I think <laughs> consumer perspective perspective or perception of us has changed somewhat into a commodity, but in the same respect, I think we've allowed that to happen to ourselves and we've really focused ourselves solely on what we pay for something. Not I think the, the customers that, that think of us as a commodity, such a small percentage. Yeah. You know, how often do you have, we, you, I was, I was telling this to somebody earlier today, within a mile of me, there's probably 30 shops. There's so many around me. And yeah, you'll have the guy that just starts at one end and starts going from shop to shop to shop looking for the cheapest price. And they walk in and some of these shops will oblige that guy with a price. Uh, I've, I've got a, I think a one or two star review on my, uh, on Google for a guy that walked in and wanted a price on a timing belt job. Well, he was an existing customer. We had the van in there. It's the only reason why we obliged. And, you know, we had already, we had just done the exact same vehicle like the week before. So my service advisor pulls it up and says, boom, here's the price. The mm-hmm. guy was floored and he, he got so upset at the price we gave him. He went online and left me a bad review saying the dealer down the street was going to do it for half. And I said, dude, that what the dealer was quoting you and what I quoted you are two different things. They were doing just X, Y, and I was doing X, Y, Z plus ABC, not even close to the same thing. Uh, he didn't seem to agree, but whatever <laughs> you, you'll always have that person that is just looking for the cheapest price, but it's such a small percentage. Some people just want their cars fixed the, yeah. and the enthusiast. I'm sorry. They are the worst customers in the whole world. I'm glad, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad uh... that you guys take care of those enthusiasts, but I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's an episode of parks and recreation where uh, Ron Swanson's walking through the hardware store and the guy walks up to him and says, can I help you, sir? And the first thing that comes out of his mouth, I know more than you, 
and he keeps walking, just ignores the guy. <laughs> that's the enthusiast to me. I know more than you, and that's it. It's like, hold on now. Hold- now that's yeah, a, that's on. an extreme extreme example. But let me let me you say that. Me- but here's the thing: like, <laughs> I used to run in the enthusiast circles back in the yeah. day, and let me tell you, the I mean, and I get it. These guys are passionate about their vehicles. Yeah, but what they do and what the professional shop do, does so far so far from apart from each other it's it's ridiculous it's like great you're really good at working on your car yeah you can't do what you do to your car to five to six vehicles a day every single day with precision minimal comebacks yeah. and it's not even close to the same thing the pace the knowledge the nuance you don't know what it yeah. feels like to about to break a bolt yeah you don't know what it looks like hey this is the wrong size socket just by feel you don't know what it's like. I've got to make sure this this gasket channel is absolutely clean. You don't know what clean actually looks like. It looks <laughs> clean to you. It's not really that clean. Guess what? That sucker is going to leak. Yeah. And it, it is <laughs> because and, it's and, a BMW and, and that's what they, they do. They expect perfection, <laughs> right? Let's be real. Yeah. They, they are very picky and they're picky about the weirdest things. And I'm not saying anything bad, right? Like I was an enthusiast one time. I love diesel trucks. It was the greatest thing in the world. Until I realized I was poor, um, but I mean, you can't make money working on diesel enthusiast trucks. Terrible business to be in. That, that's what part of the reason I, I was super excited to have Nathan come on and talk because I know I, he didn't really expand on this, but NGP, where he spent a lot of his years, exclusive. I'm not going to say exclusively, but they catered to the enthusiasts. They did a lot of performance. Nathan, yeah. you'll describe it better, but. They really went after and leaned hard into the enthusiast vehicle owner market as a professional installer. And they welcomed them. David, to your point, they welcomed those people wow. that had I don't those. have that kind of personality. I'm just so telling that you. how you would say it? You're a saint. I'm just telling you. I, 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 we, got, we called in. I just want to just, – just so I can make my point here real quick. Yeah, yeah. I, I call into a warranty company today. Uh, oh boy. Lucas doesn't deal with warranty companies anymore. And we say, hey, <laughs> uh, this customer's got this particular complaint. We found a matching to the T technical service bulletin. The technical service bulletin says I got to change these parts out for this intermittent electrical fault. Intermittent. That's key, right? Yeah. The warranty guy who, you know, sounded like an enthusiast, not to disparage them, but... <laughs> Sounded like an enthusiast. Not to disparage them. I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. disparage them. One moment, please. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> and he goes uh, well, what else makes you think it needs that? What, what, do, you, what do you mean? And, and so, <laughs> and he's like, well, what else? No, no, I don't think you understand. This is an intermittent electrical fault. Intermittent. <laughs> that's key. It matches to a T, the technical service bulletin. It's a design flaw. It's not a safety-related design flaw, which is why there's no recall on this thing. So this is how we're going to fix this. You guys are going to cover it, right? No, I need. We need more evidence than that. What? What are you? What are you talking about? Like this car is going to sit here for what months until we catch it? Maybe we catch it. It actually acts up in our shop, and maybe we have the equipment hooked up to it to catch the electrical fault on an oscilloscope. And then you're going to have the knowledge. Maybe have the knowledge to figure out what the hell you're looking at. Maybe yeah. or no. Just shut up and cover the stupid <laughs> warranty. He, he didn't like it. So we hung up with him, called him back. We got the thing covered. It's not the point. My point is <laughs> they don't they don't always know. That that's what that that's sort of they, they come in 
with perceived knowledge. Let's call it that. And I, I don't have the patience for, for perceived knowledge. So like catering to the enthusiast, I would have lost my ever flipping mind. So par- part of my past life was really heavily involved in collision and insurance. And what you're described to me just sounds like an insurance adjuster. <laughs> that's what, that's what, that's what I was about to say. That sounds got, like that sounds like that. A, 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 <laughs> that sounds like somebody up here who's trying to figure out how to avoid yeah, paying out yeah. warranties, saying, "Well, what other hoops can we make people jump through?" Like that doesn't understand no, anything. Sometimes about they hire. Cars. It's there's not there's nothing worse than catching a quote unquote former mechanic as a warranty uh, claims adjuster or an insurance claims adjuster. Listen, there is something That's the worst customer too. No, 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 no. You're both wrong. Let me tell you something. The worst thing you could ever have to go through in your entire life. Has anybody ever heard of a organization called GSA, the government services administration? No. Yeah. So if you work on a federal government vehicle, you got to call these really nice folks. And I eventually figured it out. Somebody finally told me, he said, you know why everybody up here is an asshole? And I said, why? He said, because they're all DOD employees that are getting ready to retire. And I said, what? He said, their whole job is to make sure that you have a bad day. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Huh. And so th- that, th- is dude, insurance, you- that is an insurance adjuster's playbook 101. I- I'll tell dude, you this. In a, these th- people would argue about using used oil. Well, couldn't you just <laughs> drain the oil out and put it back in? <laughs> oh, God. What Good Lord. P- what? But, but it's the it, point of that. that. They have like a dartboard somewhere and there's like yes. the wor- the dumbest things they could possibly say. They're like, yes. And what, dude, I'm telling you, some of those people are mean. Like you're wondering if they don't have their finger on a red buttons going to take you out. I mean, you just got to wonder, man. Listen, there, there's a body shop owner in Wichita, Kansas at one point told me to read a book called Good Hands to Boxing Gloves. You know, and, as soon uh, as we talked about that, Dutch yes. bought that book and read it. Look, it don't don't read it unless you really want to get angry for a couple of weeks. But it, it talks about the playbook that, that when insurance in the United States fundamentally shifted from what it was to what it is today, the playbook involves step one is deny. Step two is deny. Step three is delay. Step four <laughs> is delay. And step five is settle. <laughs> like that's that's the playbook now. And that's uh, uh, again, that's I don't you know. I don't think that's an enthusiast mindset. I, I'd go to bat to argue that one. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, so to, to go back to NGP uh, real quick. So, yeah, so if, it, it was a performance shop. Um, but obviously, you it's very difficult to make actual money, profitable money, just doing performance installation yeah. of software and takes exhaust, whatever it might be. Um, so, obviously, the bread and butter is service work. It's your time about water pump jobs, et cetera, et cetera. So, NGP really benefited from having a, a, a diversified income stream. And that's probably one of the reasons, for example, like we would we would install customer parts. We wouldn't offer the same coverage, but whatever. Um, but, you know, we sold parts online ourselves. And we did performance work because that was fun for the, the technicians that we had that were into those cars and into modifying cars and whatever it might be. And then we did the service work because, one, um, it's bread and butter, and that's what the shop actually made money on. And, two, that obviously expands your customer base quite a bit. Um, and, and one of the things that it sounds like both of you guys already do, and it's something that we did, is it really comes down to um, educating your customer, finding your customer. And that's something that we do specifically. We look for certain kinds of people, obviously, that are interested in purchasing parts, whatever that might be. And, and for you guys, you you have your customers. that They know what they're looking for because they're looking for a quality part. It's the same thing, uh, you, David, where you're not worried about paying that X percentage because you know what you want. 
um, and because that you know that supplier has you as a, a dedicated loyal customer, and and you guys have a good relationship. So the performance part stuff, just to go back to that, uh, you know, we would the way that I look at it like this: like so, somebody buys a brand new Volkswagen. They don't. It's under warranty. They don't need more repair, repair work, whatever it might be. But they want to come to us because they want to get this intake installed or sports spring. So they want to get a tire, performance tires or an alignment um, for the track. So we would do all that stuff. And eventually they kind of come back around and they are going to, you know, they might pay us to do their oil changes rather than going to the dealership, even if it includes, um, you know, service or something like that, because they see us as, um, you know, somebody who has the knowledge and, and, and as all of us being like, invested in what we're doing not just as a job to make money or a business to make money but like we live and breathe everything that we're doing um you know so like you know when we start talking to them about like well maybe you shouldn't do ten thousand mile oil changes on this audi because let me tell you it's going to last through the warranty and then it's going to be a piece of garbage you know that's like well, why did my timing change whoa, whoa, whoa. up it's I, only got I've got a question you you're gonna have to clarify this is going to last through the warranty and then it's going to be a piece of wow. garbage? <laughs> Depends on I mean, the I, car. <laughs> I mean, are you talking about like 09 to 11 A4s and all that stuff? Like, um, You know, listen, yeah. I thought we would get done with this. I'd go home, I'd have a nice glass of bourbon, and I'd go to bed and forget about the world. And you bring up an 09 <laughs> A4. <laughs> Man, now I'm like, going home and having nightmares, okay? <laughs> somebody comes in, like, yeah, can you rebuild this engine? Like, <laughs> I guess we can. I would not, rather not. Um, let me How find about you just one buy that, a new car? It, yeah. I mean, probably better. Not anymore. That car is $25,000 now. Buy yourself a, buy yourself a nice Volvo and, and just, just relax. Oh, like. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I like Volvo. I don't Those know. Good cars. Volvo owners are like TDI owners, probably. <laughs> it's like a similar... <laughs> You know what I mean? What are we um, talking about, Volvo owners? <laughs> they, so the local high school teacher was a Volvo master tech, and we always pick on him. I'm like, Eric, dude, there is no way those high school students are nearly as bad as those Volvos. I was like, if you've got patience to make it to Volvo master, you clearly – because, you know, he was in he was in the generation where – you remember the little fuel injection uh, plenum cover like that went over the coals and everything? And it went over the top of the valve cover, and you'd pull it up. And when you pulled it up, if you sneezed, all the wiring insulation would blow off and blow all over the car, and it would spark and arc, and every fuse would blow, and the car wouldn't run. Yeah, that was his generation. Catch on fire. That's what they would do. <laughs> Look, the, the the Volvo spark arrestor is still a hot topic around this place. So, like, that's a you got to be careful mentioning those words out loud. It's, it's a pretty important piece of, of Volvo history. <laughs> David, I mean, let, me, let me ask you this question because I, I gotta I gotta dig in a little bit. I hope you don't mind me picking, but imagine the enthusiast, right? The one that I'm thinking of, not the one you're thinking of, but the one that comes to your shop and, and asks you and says, "Hey, I need brakes and rotors. Can I bring my parts?" And you tell them no, right? You have a conversation with them. You tell them no. What if the the, the it depends next- on the it depends. It, there's so it's not it's not black and white for me. So no? if it's no, it's not. It's not. Because it depends, like it depends on the vehicle. Yeah. So I, I we have GTI customers, and they love their GTIs. And yes. They're hardcore into the GTIs. Okay, great. So if they jump on FCP Euro and they buy a kit, and it's a kit that I would myself personally recommend to them, and it's got you know the nice stuff. Yeah. 
and they're like, hey, I'm going to jump on the site. I want to do this, this, and this. Sure, I'll put it in for you, no problem. So it's, if it's really somebody you, off it's the more street, about... Yeah, if it's somebody off the street, never talked to them, no relationship. I haven't looked at yeah. the car, no idea. They said, hey, the parts are in the back. I'm just looking somebody to throw those parts in. I'm going to tell them no 100% of the time. Uh, 100% makes, of the time. It, like, that I, makes I a little more... A yeah. little more clarity. I, I appreciate that. It, okay. it, the, the, the reason I ask is I, I keep thinking like I, you know, in my time in the auto parts business, I had the brands that we had on the shelf that I would want on my car. Now it was easy for me. I knew who installed them whenever I you know, wasn't going to do a job myself. I knew who would be happy to use the moved wheel hub or whatever other part that I, I thought I needed. I, I could go find that person. But let's say that that customer comes to you. You've never heard of them. You never talked to them before. And you find out it's just because they want a TRW brake pad and, and Zimmerman rotors, right? If, if it's a brand that you would trust, yes, they bring their parts maybe. But what if it's just a conversation about the brand that you're going to install? Is that yeah. a little bit more reasonable for a, a shop owner to to have that conversation with this customer out of the blue? I, you know, the I guess my, my bigger issue is like... Like if they're if they're choosing brands that I can get myself, and there's no reason for them to go after their own parts uh, parts other than they're trying to save a buck. I'm I'm going to be very hesitant to even bother. I'll talk to them. We'll have a very nice conversation, and it'll very much go down the route to what Lucas was saying. Where hey, yeah. I'm sorry, I I've got to be able to feed my technicians. Sure, and, you know. Everybody's got to eat, and you're sort of cutting that out. That's not the same thing as the GTI owner or the TDI owner. That like <laughs> they're they're you know they're very particular. Oh yeah, and <laughs> they they want a specific brand of X Y Z, and they've done all the research, and you know they've sat online and looked at eighteen thousand forum entries. And they've decided yeah. that this is what they want. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I have a relationship with this person and they want to bring that in. I'm okay yeah. with that. I really yeah. am. I don't like, that's not, I, I get that rarely. What I normally get is I went online and I read 18,000 forum entries and they said that this crankshaft position sensor is the problem for oh, my car. Yes. And yes. I bought it off FCP and it's the genuine BMW part. How much for you guys to put it in? It's like, dude, you haven't done any diagnostic work. You've read for mm-hmm. and it, yep. you haven't looked at the car. Is there power? Is there ground? You know, like, what's the PID look like? What's the oscilloscope read? Like, you haven't done yeah. any yep. of that work. And so I'm not, I'm not going to accommodate that customer necessarily. Yeah. And, and here's the, the other side to it, right? And, and you've got to talk about this, is that, that when, when I'm repairing a car, I'm not just looking at that one system and saying, is this one system all that's going on with this automobile, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when my when my consumer leaves, they expect the car, right? Rick, my, my shop coach, always says, it's like you're putting your good housekeeping seal of approval on it. It's an unspoken expectation. Unmeet or, or, or fail to meet that expectation, and you'll find out that it'll become spoken rather quickly. Right. Yeah. And so as a professional, I have an obligation to my consumer to make sure the car is safe, to make sure the car is reliable, to make sure there's nothing else they need to know about. Right. Mm -hmm. If I've ever gotten myself in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Bring that part in. We'll stick it in real quick and see what it does. 
And then we pick the car up. And guess what? Think about the Volvos. Yeah, I've got a bad ignition coil. Can you change my ignition coil? Yeah, that yep. sounds like an easy job. Cool. Bring it. Yep. Boom. Pull it up. And the wire is just, well, it was running a whole lot better before I brought in now this. Right? Yeah. Think of those scenarios where that can happen. And if at least I have the opportunity to evaluate the car, now I can give them an estimate. I can tell them if anything else is coming up that I can tell. I can explain. Yeah. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see the future. Yeah. But you know what? When I'm sitting up there in front of that judge and he says, tell me your side of the story, your honor, I did everything I possibly could as a professional to evaluate the car. I've given them pictures. I've given them documentation. I've told them everything I possibly can about the automobile. But the truth of the matter is, is I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see into the future. I didn't yeah. know that was going to happen. I didn't know the car was going to burn to the ground, but I did everything I could to catch it. And here's all my documentation. Yeah. yeah. Which would you, I mean, I, where would you I, rather be sitting? <laughs> They're yeah. saying, I oh, know I shouldn't have changed that part. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I mean, what it really comes down to, like, you know, obviously, you know, you guys are doing your due diligence and you're really, that's doing the customer the service. Any good shop, any good technician, any good service writer is going to say, hey, I don't care what you read online in a polite way, but, or maybe not. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if somebody comes in, they're like, oh, I bought this part. It's going to fix my car. The first thing I say is I, we didn't diagnose this. I'm going to put diagnostic time into this. You don't have to give me a gazillion hours, but I need to look at this because I need to make sure that I'm not going to take your money and put this part on the car, not knowing if it's going to fix it or not, because I'm taking your money for no reason, because it very well may not fix that problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you do a deal and you make sure that you're following up on those things. And I think I probably take it for granted to some extent because, you know, I was not a, me a mechanic. I was not a technician by trade you know i learned an awful lot by osmosis from hanging out with the master techs and everybody and working with them day in and day out i learned a lot and i probably take for granted that i approach everything from that perspective because i lived it for so long um but that's looking at systems it's looking two steps beyond to make sure that there's nothing else that's getting missed there um and i think that that probably the number one thing that you're talking about there too is safety just making sure that you know when you mm -hmm. have a car that's going out the, down the street to make sure that it is a hundred percent safe and reliable for that person, for their family, for whoever it might be. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, from our perspective, you know, I guess we do the best that we can in terms of education on stuff like that. It's impossible to cover every possible base. Um, but it is one of the things that sort of like the ethos of the company is we have a couple different things, but our, one of our general taglines is that if we wouldn't put it on our car, we wouldn't sell it to you. And that actually comes from a real experience that <laughs> Scott, our CEO had, um, you know, back early 2000s-ish, we were importing control arm kits for Audi A4s, um, you know, because they have a gazillion control arms at the front. They always go bad, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, that dang pinch bolt. That dang pinch bolt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and we were importing these of our own volition um, from like a Far East supplier or something like that. And I don't remember if it was Scott's sister that had it on the car or if there was a recall or something like that. Long, the long story short is that Scott realized, our CEO realized, we're selling parts that could put somebody in jeopardy because this ball joint fails on this part. I, my sister has this part on her car. That could kill her. It could kill her family, my nieces, yep. nephews, whatever it might be. Yep. And that very moment, we recalled, bought back everything that we had sold, sent them other mm -hmm. replacement parts. We took every single part that we got back. We took every single part that we had on the shelf, threw it in a dumpster, $100,000 plus in, in the garbage. Mm -hmm. And from that day forward, vowed that like our, our vow, our vow to keep people as safe as we can, even if it is DIYs that we're only going to sell quality parts. 
Um, yeah. So, and, and really, guys, our primary role in this is is part selection. All of the right. education that we do on the DIY side and the and the, the step to step one, two, three, the how to information that we provide, it, it's all a function of part selection. And it, and it sounds to me like you were both describing it. I think perfectly is that selecting your own parts is not the same as as substituting a professional's diagnostic efforts and a professional's verification of the problems. It, it, it is not the same. And it's too easily and too often confused is that a professional is not just an installer. They're diagnosing, they're verifying the work that they yep. did actually solves the problem. And that, and that simple act of part selection too easily is, is like overwriting all of the work that a professional might actually do to that vehicle. And that's a dangerous line to, 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 to let get blurry. Would you agree? Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, I'll give you a perfect example of it. There's a cruise in here in this back bay right behind me right now. And that cruise came in and it had a massive coolant leak. And this young lady has got to travel four and a half hours tomorrow, right? No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And the technician got done. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, you couldn't pour water in the coolant reservoir and it stay in the reservoir. I mean, it was dripping wow. out on the ground as soon as you poured water in it. What What's one of the things as a professional technician you do after you make a cooling system repair? You, you put a vacuum on it. it and you pressure test it, yeah. right? Guess what? Had a tiny little pinhole in one of the turbo lines on this car. Call the client up. We need to replace this. Well, she's got to go. I completely understand that. But it's my job as a professional to make sure the car is repaired properly. Mm-hmm. I don't want her sitting on the side of the road in Raleigh, in Charlotte, wherever she may be heading. I wouldn't want my daughter in this situation. I wouldn't put her on the road doing that, right? So that that's a perfect example of exactly this. It's the verification after the repair. It's making sure that it's done properly. It's making sure we used the right part and that we can verify it's a quality component. Yeah. You're, you are paying a professional for their ability for years of experience. You're not paying them for their time. Right. You you might be, but not, you're paying them for 30 time, plus yeah. years. You're yeah. billing by the time, but that's not what you're paying for. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We, we do a, a we do a quite a bit of that as well ourselves, that um, curating of parts. You know, we we need to. And, and this is something we tell our customers. We vet our parts. We vet mm-hmm. our suppliers. That wheel bearing would not be the one that you mentioned earlier. I'm sorry. They're just. They don't hold up, and so uh, <laughs> I would agree with that statement. <laughs> I, listen, I've I've drank we, a few quarts uh, of Kool Aid in my life. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. So installing one that of the things that we, yeah, one of the things that we do, uh, and and that's sort of the the problem is everybody automatically goes straight OE, and they're like, oh, that's okay, I already bought the OE part. It's like, okay, well, maybe you paid double for a part that could be just as as good paying a little bit less if we go OES. It's not it's not the the long, GM long number, right? It's the GM professional line, uh AC Delco professional series or whatever. Like it's the the Denso instead of getting the Toyota. It it's just as good. But, you know, I get it you want to default yeah. to that and the customer wants to make that argument, but when we see when we're looking at the vehicle, we're looking at whole systems is is the vehicle leaking oil on that crankshaft sensor and that's why it failed and you're Mm -hmm. just 
Googling, you know, the code and all yeah. these forums telling you they just replaced the crankshaft sensor. Nobody ever mentioned that oil was dumping all over the connector. And that's really why it failed, right? And then when we look at the whole systems, what's the best valve cover gasket for this repair? You know, what additional are we going to need to replace? What are pattern failure items that are going to be involved that while we're in there, we can save you a lot of money by replace, replacing XYZ while we're in there mm -hmm. because they're going to fail. You're going to be paying me double to do it again down the road. Yeah. And then also replacing the part with maybe an OES supplier that'll save you a little bit of money, but will last just as long as the OE part. Or it could be better, maybe a design change, right? That hasn't yeah. been quite made it uh, down, down, the, down the line. So there's a lot to the, to the professional side of it that I don't think gets considered. I think it can get overlooked. And that's, that's an awesome philosophy because I can tell you right now that 99% of shops are going to their suppliers. They're not necessarily vetting. I know a lot of shop owners go, why would they sell it if it's junk? <laughs> and they yeah. they just buy it and throw the part on the car <laughs> at no point did they go they're selling it because there's some random consumer that would is willing to pay eleven dollars for that tie rod it yeah it doesn't mean you should be buying that eleven dollar tie rod it <laughs> you know they're just trying to appeal to a wider market you as the professional need to take a step back and go yeah. what's the best part for this car and what's going to last the longest what's going to provide the most value to the customer what is the what's the AutoZone part line? The it's the Duralast value whatever. You know value, what I'm talking value about? Value craft. Value craft. But everybody the, has the guys, like every every supplier has that. We that we white had box we, line. we had a big crate full of white box brake pads at one point that came in nine ninety nine retail price over the counter. And boy, you crack any one of those open, and it, and it just smells like a fish market. It is, oh it yeah, is the that most was nasty, the oh, ter gross. most terrible <laughs> smell you could imagine. It's oh, it was it's, so gross. How, how do you even yeah. come up with that much weight? That something that weighs that much that you can safely sell for nine ninety nine, and uh, and we sold you know the commercial discount was seven ninety nine. We so have a, a professional could get it for seven ninety nine. There was a chain here oh. in in my area that. That that was one of the things that they did is they they went after their own parts themselves and then they would stock them in warehouses throughout the city, and it was all fast moving stuff. So tie rod ends, wheel bearings, brake uh, pads, rotors, shoes, mm. and they would buy the cheapest. I mean, in bulk, they were paying a buck for a set of brake pads, and then they were selling it to the customer <laughs> for twenty crazy. bucks. They were making a good spread. They didn't care. <sighs> And so they would, t they, that's what they're ever, we, so we, uh, we are our own part supplier, which is why we can pass the savings on to you. And it's like, holy crap, dude. Like, and uh, man, they made a killing for years. The most of them are gone now, but uh, yeah, sketchy. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's like the, I don't know if y'all saw it, but for years you could get on Amazon and you could buy Moog wheel bearings and you could buy a set of them and you could look up the exact same part number. And it's like, dude, it's 170 bucks for me. How can they sell a set of them for 80 bucks? And then you get the box and realize they spelled Moog a little bit differently. <laughs> that's the digital flea market aspect of what they do. So we, we, yeah, we're no, lucky. That's, an, that's another issue, though, with, with them bringing in their own parts. It's like, well, where are you buying those parts? Because, you know, if they do drop a name like FCP Euro and they're like, well, I'm getting it from SCP Euro, it's like, okay, I'm okay with that. 
but oh, I, you know, I'm getting it from you know sketchyeuroparts.com, and you're like, who? Those, those eBay, those eBay turbos. Oh, get, my, turbo. get my turbo on eBay. Oh boy, sorry, we're not going to answer all that for you. <laughs> yeah, that, that's 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 really the direction of well, that's the story Nathan told you. It's if we won't sell it, you know, we wouldn't put it on our cars, we wouldn't sell it. Any pretty much, if you can think about it, any professional again, if they they find their way onto our site, there's rarely any instance where they can question the brands that we sell. Right, we really aim to only let a part leave our facility that is a quality part. Now there's there's a couple of ranges of quality in some situations, but absolutely none of them are encroaching on a, a box of brake pads that smells like a rotten fish. Like that's there's nothing like that in our world and, and any professional kind of figures that out and and maybe that's the answer, right? Maybe that's the it's a pre vetted part supplier, but it's just one of those it's it's almost a rhetorical question at that point because Every shop owner, if you could ask a thousand shop owners, you would we would get all different answers, right? No, I'd never let anybody. Oh, maybe I'd let them if I knew the brand. Maybe I'd let them if I knew the supplier. Or yeah, I'll take it, right? Like there's there's an infinite number of answers. There'll never be consensus, is the way I look at it. And that, that's pretty much the same way you guys are saying it, right? It's it's yeah. just something that will always be debated. There will always be multiple sides to that argument, but. Like I said, we we feel like if if professional finds their way to us, and and they're of the mindset that a part can ship, and that's okay with them, and it doesn't have to be there in an hour, maybe we'll find a way to help some shop, some more shop owners than we do today. Yeah. And 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 as things evolve, maybe it becomes better. Like, as it is today, if if we find a way to help, if a professional sits there and looks at a kit and they see a, a copper washer that they would have accidentally yeah. forgot, and it helps them not have to re-rack the car later when the rest of the parts come in, then we're doing a service. We're, we're really helping the industry, in, even if it's in a very small way. And, and, uh, and we'd love to be able to do more of that. So one thing I do have a question about before we go is, is you've got a unique warranty. What is the warranty going to be for professionals if they buy from you? You're, you're doing the commercial oh. program. It's not up yet, right? No, the, the, the commercial program, it, it's up and running, but it's buried. Like it's, it's not out front. Like if you're really dedicated you can go to the little menu in the top right corner and you can see the tiny little button that says wholesale. You'll find your way into it. But we give the So I've commercial- got a buddy Dan Grilly. He's gonna set it all up for me. He's gonna fill out all the paperwork. I don't even yeah, have to put uh, in my tax ID. He's just gonna do it all. Uh, I'll just click on it and it works. Okay, cool. Listen, I've made a lot of empty promises in my life, and if you want to believe that that's just another no. But it, it, it's there, it's all out there. Professionals get a two year warranty. But okay. that unique warranty is it's another piece that is it's a point of contention with a shop owner. Because they, if they know about us, they likely know that we put a lifetime warranty on everything for the do-it-yourselfer. They can replace anything as long as they own the car. They can drain their Liquamali engine oil back out into a bottle and send it back into us, and we'll replace that for them as part of our as unconditional they, they, lifetime replacement guarantee. They have to buy the replacement first, but we do refund them once they yes. send it back. <laughs> yeah. That is insanity. It's complete insanity. I've, I've read it in the forums. That's, that's not- it, is a, it is a real thing. It's uh, legit. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm going to point again, like you can kind of see where I'm pointing, but like the be- yeah, he's closer. Uh, the, yeah, it's the right. Barrel- it's beneath me to the left over here. <laughs> You're actually pointing at Nathan, and Nathan's actually <laughs> pointing at the stuff. Yeah, the barrels and barrels of used oil that we we take back in from this promotion. You know, like we we had to figure out 
responsible things to do with the old oil. Like we have to donate it back to the state so that it gets properly recycled because the influx is, it's really not that big in the grand scheme of things, but it's enough that it, it becomes an operational important piece of our business of just taking care of the used oil. But the, that's the reality. That's what we offer to the do-it-yourselfers. And it's hard to believe at first, you know, uh, uh, somebody that comes to us for the first time might have to go into a forum and say, are they for real? Will they really do this? And they'll have to have 10 other people respond back and say, yes, they're for real. I used it last year. Or, yes, they're for real. But it's that's another piece that is unique to the do-it-yourselfers. And there are professionals that might take issue with the fact that we offer that extra layer of service and, and, and after-sales support to our do-it-yourselfers and the professionals get a two-year warranty. So where does I don't, that I don't blame in? you. Trust me. I've been on the parts side. Some of these shops are sketchy. Sketchy. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know how many times, like, yeah, I these are not the same. These are not, this is not the same vehicle. I get that these are the same brake pads, but this is some random vehicle that came in and happened to have the same brake pads that you bought three days ago. This, this, this isn't under warranty. Get out of yeah. here with this. I mean, people Look. people definitely try, try. You know, they try to take advantage. Um, you know, you get a jug of water back, or you know, you get <laughs> OE parts <laughs> that clearly have a date stamp from two thousand and two. You know, and and our guys that's in, great. Yeah, our guys at Reverse happens. Logistics, you know, do an awesome job, and it's and certainly those are the a very tiny minority of uh, the people that take yeah. advantage of that program. But yeah, think about how generous of a, of a warranty program it really is. And there are still people that have to try to milk it for more. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. But the, yeah. it, it, you know, with, with us, it's simple the, the the professional side of things, it's, it's just another piece that, that it's even simpler. It's two years. And do the shop owners care, right? Do they care that there's a lifetime warranty? Sometimes they do. They care that a do it yourselfer can go buy this part online and they're going to get it replaced for free, whereas if the shop owner buys it, he gets a two-year warranty. Sometimes that comes up. It's not that common. But what do you guys think? Is that an issue? Is that something that would weigh on your mind? I don't no, care. Not, not for me. It, yeah, it doesn't care. bother me. The, the things I would like to see as a professional is I would like to see you put something in place that says, hey, we'll offer some type of labor warranty. I yeah. would like to see you put something in place that says, hey, listen, if... You maintain certification in the shop. We've talked about this before. If, if you run ASE certified technicians, if you show me that you're attending X number of training hours X, a year. X number of training a year, yep. You, you have to show us that you're maintaining professional credentials in the shop, that you're continuing education, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. We'll do something different for you than we will Jim Bob down the street, mm. right? Because – you know, we require 100 hours a year of training. We work very hard to take care of our clients. If I come to you with a problem, listen, here's the scope printout. You can see right here where the voltage dropped on this sensor. You can see that the input was good. You can see the ground was good. And all of a sudden it dropped to zero volts. This is a bad sensor, right? Yeah. It's different dealing with me than Jim Bob. Hey, man, you sold me a bad part two years ago, right? You need to be able to provide me something different. Yeah. If I'm proving to you and doing the footwork to show you I'm the real deal, I'm no joke, I'm not trying to jerk you around, yeah. I think I need a different type of, of reward or, or incentive to buy from you as that type of professional. Mm -hmm. Right. Does that make sense? I think so. And Dan can probably speak to this and I, and I can't speak out of turn for the company, but you know, s s 
the the DIFM aftermarket sort of like industry that's obviously huge and it's something that we're obviously very well aware of there's plenty of people that might come to us or that might find us that are actually looking for a shop to do that job and i think one of the challenges of directing people to shops is finding the right ones the ones that mm-hmm. do put the time and the ones that I do the training i don't necessarily yeah. think that that's a direction you guys need to go in like you know the tire rack kind of deal where yeah we'll sell you the tires but the our quote-unquote vetted certified shops will install it for you or that kind of thing but (laughs) david is there yeah (laughs) the the problem i I don't turn in labor claims it's really rare it's really really rare and the reason is i almost take it as a point of pride that i don't have warranty failures like you know it's it's just the way I run my shop. There, there are fantastic organizations out there, very profitable, successful operations that see the warranty as just a line on the P&L. And yeah, they understand they're going to do 1%, 1.5% of their gross revenue is going to get eaten in labor uh, as, as a warranty. And th- it is what it is. I just don't turn in labor claims because if that part failed, I didn't vet that part line properly. I knew I shouldn't have bought that part. I knew I should. Or you didn't you plastic know, gauge the main bearings that might. Come. I didn't plastic gauge the main bearings that one time. <laughs> I I ate that one. Yeah, that it. You know, it, there was a mistake on my end. Yeah, that caused that part to fail. Yep. Because exactly. if I vetted the part properly, and I installed it properly, and we serviced the system properly, the likelihood that part failed is like a tenth of a tenth percent. Yeah. It's really really rare. And, so. And- I expect that if I do come to my supplier and say, dude, I need labor on this because this is some BS, I expect to be taken care of because one, I don't turn them in ever. And then two, like this was a, you know, two standard deviation occurrence. It is way (laughs) out there. It it was not like there was something serious going on here. So I, I would want to see something like that where like Lucas is saying, that once you go through this vetting process and look, there's a lot of organizations out there that say, yeah, we vet our, our, you know, repair shops. No, they don't. That's the <laughs> next don't. question I was going to ask you. Cause I, <laughs> I haven't, I shouldn't say that I have, I'm, I'm aware of two processes that I believe are the closest to uh, the, the best I've ever seen. And that's in the certified collision shop world. There are two automakers that, that truly, mm. Yeah. Truly, on the go collision side, a it's fine tooth comb. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't there's, know why there's, it hasn't there's translated over to the repair side. No, no, there's a spectrum on the collision side of rubber stamp and real vetting. Um, and and Subaru and Volvo are two of the best in the nation for for actually verifying that if they're going to put their certified seal on a collision facility, that when that vehicle leaves, that it will be equally as worthy of a crash and keeping everyone safe after the repair as it was when it rolled off the assembly line. And that is a rigorous, extremely yeah. rigorous process. They'll check the, the lumens of, of lighting in the shop to make sure that there's enough lighting. That's crazy. They'll, they'll have technicians weld the panels and then they will intentionally rip them apart and destroy them to check the penetration. Like they, they have an outrageous number of steps to, to get into the program and then <laughs> annual and, and, and recertifications down the road that are really challenging. And they're, they're the right things to do 
rather than just slapping a plaque up in the showroom yeah, um, yeah. And, and collecting a fee, those two organizations uh, really take it to the degree that I, I, I would trust their stamp, their seal of approval without doing much of my own homework, just because I was able to be exposed to them in a previous career. It was really uh, insider view that made me trust them. But how does the general public know that? How does the general public know the difference between that and another automaker who just collected a $600 fee and hung their sign in the, in, in the, in the showroom, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's part of the, the dilemma that's I'm sure out there with those companies, David, that you mentioned that are certifying all of the, the repair shops on their website. Yeah. They, they probably want to do it right, but the manpower to really dig in and understand if a shop is giving a, a great experience and then a safe and proper repair all at the same time, the manpower and the understanding to be able to put that stamp on is a, is a tall task. Okay. Now look, I know we're like getting ready to go way over here. (laughs) I've just got to say this though. There was a podcast a long time ago and our good friend, Chris Chesney was on it. And Chris Chesney talked about why ASE was founded. If you ever get a chance, go back and listen to that podcast because it has some amazing information in it that would blow your mind, right? And so it really came down to our industry needed to be able to self-regulate itself to a degree. Mm. We needed to have standards. We needed to have checks and balances. We needed to know that the people who were working on cars were qualified to do so. Mm. And I want to be very cautious when I call out organizations, but I think we've got to realize that the organization that was supposed to do that has dropped the ball in many ways. And so now we've got hack shops and we've got hack technicians. We've got this problem of industry reputation because nobody's been checking the checks and balances. Mm. Nobody's been self-regulating the industry, and, and David hates the word regulation, right? I, I do, too. I'm not <laughs> saying that I think we need to regulate it. But the point is, is we have no standardization. There's nobody that comes along and says, hey, you see that bolt that you put in the back of the wheel hub? It's actually like cross-threaded and sticking out a half inch. I, that's not acceptable. It's not even that. It's like, hey, you're not supposed to reuse that bolt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's fine. That's torque to yield. Yeah, Why are you reusing it? You're not supposed to reuse that. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that Dirk Fuchs that, came up with the solution. Absolutely. And so that <laughs> that's what I was getting to. Is Dirk referencing the wrong podcast, though? No, 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 <laughs> no. There, I'm the podcast I'm talking about. I'm not. I'm not trying to upset you. Okay. Look, I know you've had a tough week. I don't. You've already you've already thrown some main bearings out of the bottom end of a motor that you just rebuilt. I'm no, not wait a minute. Was it re- was it a BMW? Because that just might be normal wear and tear. Oh, me. Oh, okay. Don't rebuild <laughs> engines in your shop. It's a terrible idea. <laughs> hey, it seems like I heard somebody say that one time. No, it, it was an episode of Remarkable Results, and Chris Chesney's talking about ASE, and he's talking about how did ASE get formed? What was ASE? And they were supposed to be an organization of standards. They were supposed to be here to set standards for our industry that said that the consumer, if they went somewhere and there were ASE master level certifications in that shop, they were going to get a quality product. And then so later we do another episode with Dirk and he's talking about EVs and he's talking about the fact that, hey, listen, in Germany, if you get electrocuted working on the car, 
and you don't have proper certifications, the insurance company and the government say, why were you working on the car? Mm. You're not supposed to be working on the well, car. Well, and yeah, in Germany, it's the government that comes in and says, hey, you shouldn't yeah. be touching that car. And he's like, well, that's not going to translate to America because, you know, freedom. But he said, how can we translate that over to the U.S. side? And his suggestion was we talk to these insurance companies yep. and we say, these insurance companies should be properly adjusting the premium for shops that take the time and effort to do things properly versus the shop that doesn't. <clears throat> Wait a minute. Are you, are you insinuating that an insurance company lower their premiums? Or. Are, raise, or raise them for somebody else. Raise go read, them. Go, go read that book and, 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 uh, and that, I, that I told the, you about. The, I, I understand, but you know, and, and we talked. We talked to Chris Chesney about that, uh, mm -hmm. Lucas. We said, "Why, why don't the the parts stores then charge a surcharge?" Because in my parts store days, you had the shops that were constantly returning parts mm -hmm. as faulty, and that the the warranty percentage would be double, triple, quadruple the next closest shop. You knew that the part. It's not the part. Now, otherwise, everybody would be having the problem. It's yep. you. And so that shop there, you know, you can't give them the same pricing structure. They do, but they shouldn't because they're they're doing hack work. They're not putting that wheel bearing in properly, torquing everything down, yep. not reusing bolts, yada, yada, yada. They're not doing that. They're slapping the part in. Everything gets an impact, and out the door it goes. And in nine months, or really it was 13 months because they only get offered a one-year warranty, 13 months when that part failed. They would just call you up and say, hey, I need this thing warrantied out. And they'd slap it in, charge the customer. They have to do that. Charge yeah. the customer. And you would eat the part. They make the spread. They don't care. They move uh, uh, They move along with their day. Yeah. They should be getting penalized. And mm -hmm. Dirk's suggestion was penalizing them through, through the insurance companies. The insurance companies should be charging, at least for the collision shop, a... a surcharge or the other way you could say discounting for shops that are properly certified because the risk mm -hmm. in repairing a an ev properly is much higher um to have the ev in the shop and not repair it properly and not mm -hmm. not make sure that you're doing all of the safety protocols if the shop doesn't know because they haven't gone through the certification process they haven't gone through the training that's that's putting a huge amount of risk onto the onto the insurance company because they're sure. they're gonna have to pay for that burnt down shop, right? Yeah. And so yep. he's saying, well, why don't we why don't we offer them an incentive to become certified? And if they are certified, then then they get cheaper cheaper premiums. So our suggestion was to, to, to Chris Tesney goes, well, we should do that in the parts world too. And he's like, yeah, yeah nobody's gonna step out and do it. Like somebody <laughs> that's, has that's to the be worst part. Yeah, somebody has to be the a-hole and say, hey, if you're not certified through xyz or whatever everything's 50 percent. sorry mm -hmm. you want to get cheaper you have to show that you're a credentialed yep. shop but it's it's yeah. an it's an impossible topic it really it feels impossible the more you talk about it you know uh, if i hadn't seen I, again and i cite those two there's probably other good certification programs that i've I'd, I'd been exposed to subaru and volvo uh and a few others in comparison that were really good but those two stood out to me. And just to see the level of administration, the level of yep. care, 
the man hours, the technology that goes into those types of certifications to to truly make sure that someone's safe when a vehicle is done. Um, it's it's there. That type of certification is there. It is doable. But man, is it a big lift. It's a big yeah. lift. Yeah. We got a long way to go. Mm. We've, yep. we've got a long way to go. And, and, you know, we always talk about why do good technicians stay at hack shops and why do good shops continue to hire hack technicians. Mm. And, and at the end of the day, I, I think that we feel like we've backed ourselves into this corner and nobody's willing to take that jump. Nobody's willing to go out there and say, man, you know, we're just not doing this anymore. Mm. Um, and, and you've got to get the cars out. It's your family's livelihood. It's your money. It's your, you know, and, and, you know, the, one of the things that's been coming up is we've had these discussions on flat rate and pay plans and, and, you know, technician quality. And at the end of the day, the one thing always comes down to good people are going to do the right thing and bad people are going to do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's a technician. It doesn't matter if it's a shop owner. At the end of the day, the quality of the person you're working with, their character determines if they're going to do what what's right when no one's looking. Right. Yep. And unfortunately, we just like the news, right? It's very, very easy for everybody to judge our entire industry by the few bad apples. And that's how we're judged. So well, there's plenty of plenty of good ones out there. Nathan's yep. seen them. He's he's gotten to know a lot of them from the inside. I've been lucky to be a vendor to some amazing shop owners in my life. And uh, they're out there. Yep. I send my family to them. I send my, my, my friends. I'll send anybody within driving distance to those, those folks around me that have just shown me that they're honest. They, they, yep. they show me that they, they know the limits of their skills and their, their abilities in their shop. And if something falls within it, they'll do it and they'll do it a hundred percent right. And that's, uh, and it's not that's the, the type regional of business tire chain store, Jack. It's, it's not. not. <laughs> oh man. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you'd like to catch these episodes early, you can do so by becoming a patron. Just go to asog.site and click on the Become a Patron Now button. Becoming a patron helps support the show, gets you several perks, and is tax deductible. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and on YouTube so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email. My email address is david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, 
easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.